Welcome to Financial Modelers Corner, where we discuss the art and science of financial modeling with your host, Paul Barnhurst. Financial Modelers Corner is sponsored by Financial Modeling Institute. Welcome to Financial Modelers Corner. I am your host, Paul Barnhurst. This is a brand new podcast where we will talk all about the art and science of financial modeling with distinguished financial modelers from around the globe. The Financial Modelers Corner podcast is brought to you by Financial Modeling Institute. FMI offers the most respected accreditations in financial modeling. I'm really excited to welcome our guest today on the show. Today we have Zanib Wachaku from uh, Nigeria with us. Welcome to Financial Modelers Corner today. Thank you. We're really excited to have you. So we're going to jump into one of our questions we like to ask everybody before we talk a little bit about your background. Can you tell me about the worst financial model you've seen in your career? Yes, I can. In fact, I don't want to call it a financial model because it's been multiple spreadsheets. It's terrible financial projections. I think it's a better word than model. Yeah, I think sometimes it's only projections. It may not even qualify as a model. Yes, it doesn't even qualify as a model. <laughs> I, I like that. I'll remember that. I like to call them when they're really bad. I call, refer to them as Franken models, kind of like Frankenstein, right? <laughs> you know, they're just put all together and just a total, total mess. And I've built a few. Yes, me too. <laughs> I mean, I feel like you actually have to make those mistakes yourself to, to even get it to understand it because otherwise... You know, how do you even know that, oh, it's not a model? It looks amazing. And it's not everyone who has like a good grasp of Excel. So you think you're doing really well. Agree. When you first start, there's things you do where you think it's a good idea. And then you look back as you've gained some experience and you're like, wow, that was awful. What was I thinking? (laughs) (laughs) So I think think we're on the same page there. So, you know, from some of those, I'll call them financial projections or models that were just, you know, really poorly designed. What have you learned from that experience of seeing, you know, those poorly designed models? What has it taught you? Well, it has taught me really that it can be organized. You know, organization is key. And it's because at the end of the day, when you build a model, you're not building it to just give someone some set of formulas with financial statements. You want them to be able to use it. They need to make decisions from using their models. You know what? Simply being able to not just do projections and actually build a financial model has really taught me a lot about communication. You know, being able to clarify what I'm saying to other people with a model. Thank you for sharing that. And I love the part you said about it's taught you a lot about communication. Because I think a lot of people have a misconception that Modeling is about spending all your time in Excel. And if that's all you're doing, there's probably something wrong in the process. Yes. Yeah, I really like to emphasize that. So thank you for telling us a little bit about your worst model. What I'd love to do now is just give you a couple minutes. If you can walk us through your background, you know, kind of how you got into finance, what you're doing today, and just a little bit about your story, your journey. Okay, sure. Um, So I got out of university and I studied accounting. And so all I wanted to do was an accountant. All I wanted to be was an accountant. I wanted to work in like one of the big four accounting firms. But for some reason, it just didn't work out. I kept writing the exams and not passing it, right? And then I got a job in a tech company as an accountant. And then it was just so boring. I didn't like the job. (laughs) (laughs) It was just 
repetitive task of going to the bank, doing reconciliations. It was so boring. And then I started to realize, oh, wait, I can do something else with Excel. It doesn't have to be just these records. I can put these records together to tell a story with Excel. Right? right? So that was like, that was mind blowing for me. As at the time, I was still in my nine to five corporate job. Right. And then I started to do a lot of research. I came across Corporate Finance Institute and I was improving my Excel skill, learning a lot. So it was like a blend of my accounting and Excel. It was awesome. I'm so glad that I ported from accountant to financial model. Thank you for sharing a little bit of your story. And it sounds like you pretty quickly realized accounting wasn't what you expected and you were you're bored. You didn't feel challenged. Yes, exactly. So I'm curious, what is it that you find challenging about modeling? What is it that you enjoy about it so much? Okay, so so we model modeling is like creativity for an accountant, right? Because an accountant is expected to keep records and it's mostly record keeping. But modeling is like adding being creative with your accounting. Of course, creative accounting actually means fraud. So not that, <laughs> but being creative with your accounting, like being able to put reports together, being able to tell a story from, you know, all of these records that you put together. That takes a lot of thinking. It takes, you have to be intentional about that. So that's what really challenges me with modeling. And we use Excel as a tool. Excel is like a whole universe. I feel like, oh, I've learned all these formulas and I can put them together. And the next thing, there are macros. What is macros? So confused. (laughs) So it's like I have a path in which I keep growing and I keep expanding. That's what I really love about modeling. I appreciate you sharing that. And I love the part you said, the creativity, because I like to joke. And I think this applies a little bit to modeling, but I will say, what's the difference between FP&A, so financial planning and analysis and accounting? And I will always say, when an accountant gets creative, they go to jail. When an FP&A professional gets creative, they get promoted. You know, kind of like the financial modeler, the creativity is encouraged. Whereas when you're doing accounting, it's like, just record the books. Yes, just record the books. And if you're creative, you're going to jail. Perfect. And that makes so much sense. (laughs) Yeah. So that's kind of the joke. I mean, obviously there are some areas you could be creative, but it's not the same. There's, you know, modeling, you get that forward looking. So yeah, that's what I like to joke. Accountants always hate when I say that. (laughs) (laughs) So you and I got introduced through uh, Daniela Stein Fairhurst and her modeling group for women. Can you maybe talk a little bit about that group? Tell me about it. Okay, so I think I even started to talk about it a bit when I was telling you about my background. I started to think, once I realized what financial modeling was, and I had decided to leave my nine to five, I started to think, hmm, who else is out there doing modeling? I literally Google women in financial modeling and I found Danielle. Joining Danielle's group has like opened me to a whole bigger universe. Cause it's like, cause you know, you can actually do financial modeling in a very simple way with like simple formulas, maybe whether it's um, multi sheets or whether it's like grouping on one sheet. But then being a part of the group and watching the other ladies do Excel World Cup and things like that opened me up to so many other formulas in Excel and so many better ways to explain things, to explain the logic behind 
your finances or your model and what you're building it for. Got it. Yeah, I'm sure it's opened the world to a lot of opportunities. I like how you mentioned Financial Modeling World Cup. I actually was uh, direct messaging on LinkedIn with Daniela this morning about that. I just competed in my first Excel Esports and the Financial Modeling World Cup this week. And it was it was humbling to say the least. Let's just say my name mostly stayed at the bottom of the leaderboard pretty consistently. So I know, right? And it's like, I can't even believe there's like a whole universe out there of people like me. And we all want to even play a sport together. I'm so glad to hear that you've taken it. And it was humbling. I'm looking forward to my own first sport that I'm going to do. It's, it really looks a lot. In fact, it makes me feel like, am I really financial modeler? <laughs> yeah, it, it can be a little humbling when you see how good others are. But I found it was a great experience for me. And you know, like I said, I'm glad I know Daniela encourages people in the group to do it. And I'm glad you found her and you're part of that group because it sounds like it's made a big difference for you in your in your modeling. Yes, it has. It, it has really helped me improve the way I build my models. And I build my models for startup founders. So they want to be able to use those models to speak with investors. They need to understand the logic behind their business. They need to understand the inputs that are driving their business. So being a part of the group, learning new formulas and things has helped me to um, even communicate that better for them. That's great that it's helped you communicate better with your uh, partners and with the clients that you work with. Next question I want to ask you about, being a woman in finance and financial modeling, You know, obviously you're uh, the minority, so to speak. Most modelers tend to be male. What do you think it will take to increase the representation of women in the profession? How do you think we get more you know, women to be involved in this field? Honestly, I feel like this podcast that we're doing, that's like one way, right? Because when you know and you see that there's another woman out there who's doing it, then you feel like you can do it as well, right? But because, you know, you don't see a lot of women you don't really hear women speaking. Danielle's the like only one who's out there and out loud. But things like this podcast and other women seeing other women doing modeling, I think it would enlighten them to know that, hey, if you feel like it, you can't do it. I think that's a great point. I think the more they see that, hey, there are plenty of people in this profession, it's a good profession, regardless of gender or anything else, if you like modeling, you like numbers, come join us. You're welcome. It doesn't matter who you are. Come join us. Yes. And it's going to be fun. Yes. <laughs> I can uh, feel your excitement there as you talk. I can tell you're passionate about this. And that's what we need is people that are passionate out there sharing why they're passionate. I love that. So next question here. So you are currently a managing director and the lead financial modeler for the Intellectual Plug. So can you tell our audience what that is and what your role is with the company? Yes, sure. So the Intellectual Plug is a startup consulting firm. And what we do is we help founders get ready for funding with investors. So whether they're looking for debt funding or investors to own their company shares with them, we help them get ready. What that means is relative to messaging, we help them put together their picture. Relative to their numbers, we help them put together a financial model. What I do is the financial model. So I need model for founders, which basically helps them 
figure out what the value of your company is, figure out how much money do you need to even start your business or expand it depending on what they want to do. So if you need number one or investor funding, I'm your girl. If you need messaging done, the pitch decks or the company profile, then my husband is your person. We actually want the startup. Fun. That, that, that gives you an opportunity to work together a lot. So exciting. I'm curious. So when companies first come to you, when you first meet with them, what is that like? What are some of the you know challenges they have at the beginning and how does that process go? Most times when founders come to us, they say, you know, maybe they want to raise $200,000, right? And then it's like, okay, so what do you want to give your investor in return for 200000 And they're like, maybe 10%. And I'm like, oh, awesome. So your company is valued at $2 million. They're like, no. And I'm like, no, you actually just did say that, right? And so they don't know what they want to do with the money. They just have like a hypothetical figure in their minds. So we have to start breaking down the drivers of the business, what they spend money on, how they make money, and reviewing these numbers to sort of put together for them a financial model. Got it. Yeah, I, I could imagine a lot of times people are very excited and they don't really have an understanding of how it works, but they know they want money. And so it's like, oh yeah, I want this and I'll give you that. And then you start showing them the math and they're like, wait, but that that doesn't make sense to me. And they're like- Something's wrong, <laughs> yes. Yeah, exactly. This doesn't add up. And so I'm sure it's a, a steep learning curve for some of them. I imagine some of those conversations could probably be difficult and some very educational. Yes, because sometimes they actually come to realize that the money that they need to spend is not what they want to spend. Or they come to realize that hmm, the industry they're looking to go into has a lot of issues that they don't even have the expertise for. Right. So, yeah. I could imagine where that would be really enlightening and probably, you know, very educational. I'm curious. How does the funding typically work in Nigeria? Are you mostly seeing venture? You see debt? Like what are the typical funding routes for a startup there? So we're mostly seeing venture. Most of our clients maybe have already registered with an accelerator. They're looking for venture funding. Sometimes it's debt, but that's very rare, actually. And other times it's even their family and friends. Some people have the family to give them the money for what they want to start because it might not be even starting large scale. Got it. That that makes sense. And is it mostly tech companies that you're seeing, like software, or what do you mostly see in the way of clients? Yeah. Okay. So mostly it's brick and mortar based businesses that want to start using tech. I have a client that is in the logistics industry and now they want to build an app so that you can order a ride with your app. Got it. Yeah, you definitely see a lot of that where people want to move whatever they're doing to software as a service and have that subscription revenue. Everybody loves subscription revenue, right? Yes, everybody loves the monthly income. It's amazing. I mean, I remember when I was growing up, everything was, you know, when you came to software, it was all installed on-prem. You put it on your desktop. You paid the one-time license. Now, everything, not just software, everything's a subscription, right? I can do a haircut service as a subscription. I can buy my clothes as a subscription. Yes, groceries as a subscription. <laughs> you name it, somebody's made it a subscription now. And 
everybody's addicted. We love that recurring revenue. It's a beautiful thing, but it's been interesting to watch. In today's business world, financial modeling skills are more important than ever. With Financial Modeling Institute's Advanced Financial Modeler Accreditation Program, you can become recognized as an expert in the field by validating your financial modeling skills. Join the Financial Modeling Institute's community of top financial modelers, gain access to extensive learning resources, and attain the prestigious Advanced Financial Modeler Accreditation. Visit www.fminstitute.com backslash podcast and use code podcast to save 15% when you register. So what is it that you love about working with companies in that startup phase about helping them raise funding? What, what is it that you enjoy about that stage of the company? Oh, okay. So I feel like I really like the conversations with the founders. It's really nice to speak to someone and hear all of their ideas about something you want to start. Sometimes they sound very revolutionary and then you show them the numbers and it's like, ah, no, I don't think I reach this. <laughs> it's quite interesting. And then uh, we work with people from like different industries. So it's nice to see how somebody is doing something in logistics, but it could also be implemented in maybe fashion. So I just like different business models. And I like the thinking process for figuring out, hmm, how do I represent this person's business? That's just next level awesome. I love that. Next level awesome. I'll remember that phrase. So it sounds like you love just helping them think about the early stage, getting to see a variety of things. And probably unlike accounting where you mentioned it was boring and there was a lot of repetitive, it found, it sounds like you get a lot of variety, which you thrive on, if I'm hearing it right. Yes, yes, exactly. Yeah, it's definitely nice to have variety. I've, I've definitely had some of those roles where you're just like, all right, you know, you feel like it's Groundhog Day, if you know what movie that is. It's a movie with Bill Murray where every day repeats. Yes. You know, and he's stuck in a <laughs> loop. And sometimes that's how some jobs feel where you're like, all right, is it going to be any different today? So what are some of the challenges you face when modeling for startups? I know there's the initial conversation and help them understand the funding side, but what are some of the other challenges? Is there some real challenges around assumptions or what are the hardest things to build a model for such an early stage company? Okay, so I feel like where I have challenges even with the founders themselves, because I listen to them and then I understand what they're saying. Now I need to translate what they're saying into formulas in Excel. <laughs> so putting all those if statements and trying to figure out the logic behind, you know, how this person runs their business, that's actually challenging. That could take me longer than I usually will if I was building something that I'm already used to. And it's that challenge that I really like. Got it. So it's really, the, it's the translation process. It's taking their vision taking their statements and figuring out, okay, how do I turn those into assumptions that allow me to create a model that makes sense? I think we've all been there where you're like, okay, how do I model this part? It's like, if this is going to change, then this should happen. But then it's like, if this is going to happen, I also need to put in some other variables. How do I do that? Yeah, it's like, okay, so in this scenario, I need this. In that scenario, I need that. And how do I make sure I can toggle them and 
easily update them. Because if I build it this way, yeah, as I'm hearing you talk, it reminds me of the importance of, so I had the uh, executive director of Financial Modeling Institute on as the first episode in Schnorr. And you know, I love, he has a quote where he says, the number one problem he sees with models is design. It almost always comes back to how we design things. And as I'm hearing you talk, you know, it's, it's a real challenge to think through the logic and make sure the logic works and we can design it in such a way that it's easy to update. It's easy to make those changes because sometimes you can build it and then you get done and they come back. Oh, well, but I want this. And you're like, all right, I'll get back to you in a week. Yes. And it's like, uh, okay. <laughs> We've all been there. You finish something and then they tell you what they want all this other stuff. And you're like, ooh, that's not good. <laughs> so if one of our audience members out there is looking for some advice about building models for early stage companies, what would you say to them? What is the advice you'd offer? If you were looking to actually build for early stage, I'll say, listen to them. You have to understand where they're coming from. At the end of the day, their model is only going to make sense if they can actually achieve what they say they can over the next couple of years with their model. So if you're not listening to the founder and knowing like their capacity at whatever level they're at and whether or not they can implement some strategies that you think will maybe increase revenue or reduce cost or anything, if you don't understand that from the founder, then the model isn't going to make sense. Got it. So I'm hearing, and this is a theme I've heard before, but the most important thing is communication. The advice is learn to listen, learn to understand the business and the needs of your client. You're repeating what I'm saying better than me, and I like it. I always try to repeat it back. I think you, uh, you said it very well. I just want to make sure I understand it and their audience you know, gets the opportunity to hear it more than once. Because you know what they say, you got to hear something what? three, four, five, probably for me, eight or nine times before it sinks in. Hmm. I think I hear like seven times. Yes. <laughs> if you ask my better half, my wife, she'd probably say it takes about 20 or 30 times, but that's another story. <laughs> so I'm curious when you're building a model, how much of your time is spent with the customer versus how much of your time is spent you know, in the model in Excel? Do you know it's kind of a typical percentage? With building our model with clients, we sort of put together a process, right? So I know that I need to speak to the clients maybe three 90-minute calls, right? And then just tailored to something. I also know that when it comes to building the model, I need like three times, you know, the amount of time I'm spending with clients. So maybe I'm building my model in like sessions of three hours. I need maybe two sessions or three sessions of three hours. But then, like you said, they usually come back and they want to change something. But yeah, but I don't spend time talking to clients when I've already gotten the information. It takes me longer actually building the model than speaking with the clients. And that makes sense. So it sounds like process is quite a bit of time early on with the client. Then it's really building a model and then there's some review with the client and making sure it works and it meets their needs. That makes sense. I think it's always a little bit of a balance to try to make sure you spend enough time with the client and you understand versus the model. And it sounds like you have a good process that seems to work for you. Well, yes. And then I'm not doing it alone. 
I have my husband. So sometimes I'm not even talking to clients. He's talking to clients and I'm doing the beauty. Sometimes you're getting to trans, you're translating what he tells you. Yes. Yes, exactly. Got it. Now that, that makes sense. So next up here, we have, this is my favorite section of uh, interviews because we have a list of, rap, we call it rapid fire and we have a list of questions. There's eight of them that we ask about modeling. And so here's how it works. And I'll, I'll, I'll give you know an example. You don't need to give an answer yet. But if I was to ask you circular or no circular references, you have to pick one or the other. So you can't say it depends because okay. on all of these, <laughs> you could say it depends. You just get to give an answer. And then when we get done, after we've gone through all of them, you can pick one of the questions to elaborate on, to just, to tell us why you picked the answer you did. And if you want to say, hey, here's why it depends, you'll get that opportunity. So I'm going to go ahead and list each question and we'll just run through these and you can give me the answer. So first one is circular references or no circular references in models? No circular references. Okay, no circular references. VBA or no VBA? VBA. Horizontal or vertical model? Mostly vertical. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's not uncommon. Excel dynamic arrays. Should you use them or not? Yes or no? No. External workbook links. Yes or no? No. That's pretty common. I, I almost like, I'm not sure why I asked that one because nobody has said yes yet. No, that's just way too stressful. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much everybody's response is they kind of cringe like, no, no, never. No, no, don't, no, don't do no, it. No, no, no. <laughs> um, Named ranges versus no name ranges in your model. No name ranges. Following a formal standard, so like smart or fast, yes or no? Yes. And then, and I'll caveat this question by saying, I realize there are more choices, as everybody likes to point out. What is your favorite lookup function? Do you like using VLOOKUP, index match, XLOOKUP, or choose? Uh, I like index match, and I also like choose. <laughs> Fair enough. Index match is definitely a common one a lot of people like. So you wanted to uh, elaborate. So go ahead. Okay. So I said no name ranges, but I actually think that it's something I'd like to start putting into my models. I really like, like what, what the function does, but I haven't started to use it. Got it. So you haven't really used name ranges right now. So you'd say no, but it's something you're looking at using. Yes. Yes, exactly. And uh, any horror stories from using external workbook links? Because you were pretty adamant on that one. Oh, my God. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so when I first started, I didn't know anything. I thought it was amazing that you could link two different workbooks until you come in and then everything's all ref and you're trying to understand what's going on. I now have to go back, go to the other sheets, figure out what's going on there, then come back. Kai. <laughs> is not what I thought it was. <laughs> I am totally laughing because I can 100% relate. I mean, I actually had one where I thought I had hard-coded. I had copied something over from another file where I'd done a lookup and I thought I'd hard-coded it all because I was done and it wasn't showing up. And it turned out it was giving me ref errors because I hadn't hard-coded it. And I was like, oh, why did I do that? You know you're not supposed to have those. Yes, and then... It's complicated enough trying to figure out a ref error when all of your sheets are in the same workbook. And then now you want to go and check another workbook. Oh, yeah. yeah. Fortunately, this was a simple one where there was only one area it could be. So it was pretty, it was easy to fix. But oh, yes, when you, if you have complex models and you start linking to a bunch of different worksheets or workbooks, ugh, 
just don't do it is the advice. So we're coming up near the end of our time. I've really enjoyed our conversation. We have just a couple questions left for you. First one is maybe what's one thing you've learned over your career about financial modeling that you could share with our audience, you know, a piece of advice. Yeah, so I've learned that financial modeling, it basically brings you clarity, right? It's something, it's a tool, it's just a tool, right? But then seeing all those numbers put together, it gives you insights. So it's not just for founders, it's not just for big, large or huge projects. It could be something even, you know, as simple as putting together some or some of the template that you use to really calculate your prices, right? So I think that what financial modeling has helped me to really come to understand its, its clarity. I really like that answer on clarity, and it made me think of one thing when you said driving insights. I heard somebody say that financial modeling is the number one decision-making tool in finance. And it's, it's so true. And that's, you know, that's what you're telling me there. It gives you that clarity and helps you drive decisions. I uh, had an interview. I was speaking with someone the other day and the way they put it is, you know, really as a modeler, we're trying to ensure good projects get done, bad projects get rejected. And there's such a simple way to put it. I'd never quite heard it that way. And I just love that. I'm like, boils it down. Yes, boils it down and it's perfect. (laughs) It's absolutely perfect. One last question for you. If our audience wants to learn more about you or get in touch with you, what is the best way to do that? I'm mostly on Instagram. You can always find me there at the intellectual blog. That's my social media of choice. You can also find us on our website, the intellectual blog. So Instagram, the intellectual plug is where you're typically at. So thank you so much for joining us today, Zanab. I really enjoyed our conversation and having you on the show and look forward to sharing this with our audience. So thanks again for carving out some time. Thank you so much for having me. I loved our conversation. Wow. What a great episode we just had with Zani Wachaku. I really enjoyed chatting with her. And there's a couple things that stuck out to me. First was how she talked about terrible models. And she's like, I don't even want to call it a model because it was just spreadsheets everywhere. We'll call it projections. And the second thing is how she mentioned, I've built my share of terrible models. Just remind me, it's the learning process we all have. And so I really think that's one takeaway is just think we all go through that. We all have to learn. We all make mistakes. And that kind of links back to our second story, where when we went through the rapid fire questions and I asked her, you know, linked workbooks, yes or no? And she's like, no, no, don't do it. And she tells the story about how when she first started modeling, she thought, oh, this is so cool. I can link workbooks. And so she went ahead and tried to link a bunch of workbooks. And she ended up with the dreaded hash ref error that we've probably all experienced. You know, and she talks about how she had to spend time trying to chase it down. What file, what is it in? What caused it? I think that's something we can all relate to. And then the final thing I really want to mention about her episode is just the passion she has. You can see how much she loves modeling and she loves her job. And those are the kind of guests we want to have. People who are passionate about modeling can bring great stories can bring passion, and can help teach all of us so we can be better modelers. So next, 
I thought it would just be fun to do two things here today. We're about, you know, six, seven episodes in here. We've done it. We've done a handful of episodes. And so we've had enough rapid fire questions being asked to start to see some patterns. So I thought we'd go through and just see what we're seeing from our guests. So first one, circular or no circular references. Clear trend. So far of all the episodes we've released in this episode as well, the answer has been no across the board. We will have a yes coming, but in general, it's been no. You know, VBA has been very mixed. It's been about 50-50 on VBA, which doesn't surprise me. VBA is controversial. Some people say you should avoid it because most people don't understand it. Others say, why, why not use it? It makes things easier. Of course, we should use VBA. So that one, you get a mix. Very similar with vertical and horizontal. You know, vertical's winning, but you have a few that have said horizontal. There's not a clear trend. Same with dynamic arrays. You know, some are yes, some are no. And I think, again, that's not very surprising given how new dynamic arrays are. Over time, I think that will become more and more yes. And then following formal standards. Again, that one's a mix. Some people are yes, some people are no. You know, as uh, Dermy and Early said, my dirty little secret is I don't know any of them. So the key is following good principles. You don't necessarily have to be following a formal modeling standard is the takeaway I take from that. You know, when it comes to named ranges, again, kind of split down the middle. I think four so far have said yes, three have said no. But in fairness, one of those who said no has just said, no, I'm not using them yet, but I'd like to use them someday. So it seems like on the whole, we lean toward more, yes, we should use named ranges, but definitely some different opinions. And then the last one, lookup function of choice. We give four options there. VLOOKUP, INDEX MATCH, XLOOKUP, and CHOOSE. So the first thing we'll say is nobody has said VLOOKUP which I think what it shows is you advance past VLOOKUP, you realize index match, XLOOKUP, choose, other lookup functions have benefits and can do what VLOOKUP is doing. Not that some people won't use VLOOKUP, but as a general rule. And so the number one has been XLOOKUP. Three people have said XLOOKUP. Two really prefer index match. One mentioned choose, and then one went in a totally different direction. That was Heidi. She had the interpolate lookup which uh, we shared a little bit about in the show notes on that. So I thought it'd be a little fun to just kind of recap what we're seeing from people. So what this really tells me is you go through these questions. When it comes to modeling, there's only a few areas where there's really a clear, hey, don't do this. And circular references is an area where if you really don't understand them and you're not really, really careful, just don't use them. As a general rule, look for other ways to do it. The other one is, you know, workbook links. As a general rule, just avoid them. Don't do it. Yeah, outside of that, there's a lot of different opinions. And in the future, we're also going to start asking guests, will Excel ever die? Be curious to see what they say there. And will AI eventually build the models for us? We've started to ask some, and you'll see those in future episodes. So next, I just thought it'd be fun to share a couple resources, and those will also go in the show notes of great LinkedIn follows if you want to improve your modeling skills. You know, first, I would love for all of you to follow Financial Modelers Corner. You can find that on LinkedIn there. And that's our uh, show page. We release stuff about the podcast and summaries of guests, videos, those type of things. But there's some others that have much bigger followings and release great contact regularly. A couple of these are company pages and some of these are individuals. So I'm just going to list a few. Financial Modeling World Cup is one which we'll talk more about in the future. We'll have some great guests from that. 
So go ahead and follow them. They put out a lot of really good content about Excel, about modeling, about forecasting, and they're a great follow. They're worth your time. Even if you never plan on competing in a competition, they just provide great resource material. Financial Modeling Institute provides a lot of great stuff on LinkedIn. You can also obviously follow their webpage. Chris Riley is a great one to follow. He shares videos, documents, posts on a daily basis on LinkedIn. Another great one, Danielle Stein Fairhurst. She has a lot of great content. You know, I really recommend her. Heidi, which was you know episode six that we had on, Heidi Kinniford, she has some great material as well. And then a couple others I'll just mention, Lance Rubin. He'll be a future guest on the show. He has put together a series of articles they did, nearly 50 articles, has a lot of great content he puts out on LinkedIn. So he's a good one to follow, as does Giles Mel, who runs Full Stack Modeler. So those are just a few people. There are many more, and I'd love for you to share in the, the comments, other people you know of. And, you know, feel free to DM me or email me with those and I can add them to a future episode. So those are just a few of the different people out there that I recommend you follow. So just in closing here, again, I want to thank you guys so much for following and listening to the show, for uh, telling others about it, for leaving comments and reviews. So as a reminder, you can earn CPE credit for this podcast. All you need to do is go to earmarkcpe.com download the app, and answer a few questions after listening to the episode. So I hope you take advantage of that if you need CPE credit. And again, thank you for listening to Financial Modeler's Corner. Without you, the listener, this wouldn't be possible. Thank you. Financial Modeler's Corner was brought to you by Financial Modeling Institute. Visit FMI at www.fminstitute.com backslash podcast and use code PODCAST to save 15% when you enroll in one of their accreditations today.